Hello there and welcome to another episode of Mark My Words. This is the debate show that asks three of our top global correspondents to come up with the best argument to win a football debate. There are plenty of points on offer. The rules are pretty simple if you haven't seen the show before. Four separate rounds, a new question in each round as well. And all the guys have to do is come up with their best argument to win that particular round, to win the points, and we top them all up and find out who's won the show and who's won the series overall. That's in the future. For now, let's have a reminder of our three correspondents that sit regularly with us in the hot seat. Firstly, down in Paris, Matt Spiro is our correspondent for Be In France. Hello. Jamie Easton is in Barcelona and knows everything there is to know about La Liga and much more. Hola, hola. And finally, Carrie Brown is our Premier League correspondent based in London. Hello there. So you'll know that we have a different theme on each episode. And of course, this the week that we should have seen the Champions League final being played in Istanbul in Turkey. It feels right that our theme this week is both the European Cup and the Champions League. So that is where all our questions will be based around. We're going to start with Matt Spiro on this particular occasion. And the first question in this first round, Matt, is the greatest goal scored in Champions League and European Cup history. So the greatest goal scored in the competition's history. Matt, 90 seconds on the clock. What argument have you got for us? Well, it's a pretty wide spectrum, this, isn't it? There have been some phenomenal goals. My heart wants to go with Dennis Bergkamp. I've talked about him in a previous episode, scoring the greatest goal I've ever seen in... uh, you know, live, but I'm going to go with a goal that I didn't see live, and it was quite recent, just a couple of years ago. It was an overhead kick scored by Cristiano Ronaldo, one of, if not the greatest Champions League player. His his goal record is phenomenal, and he scored this goal for Real Madrid away to Juventus. This goal, I mean, it's just, you, you look at it and you think you're watching PlayStation or something. Human beings should not be able to score goals like this. He's, he's hit an overhead kick where his right foot is sort of higher than his head would have been. So, I mean, you know, it's just incredible athleticism, the acrobatics involved, the, the ability, the skill to be able to time a shot like that. He's hooked it back across. It's gone back slightly the way the ball had come. It's gone flying into the top corner. Gianluigi Buffon, probably the greatest goalkeeper of the modern era, is just rooted to the spot. It was a, a moment where the Juventus fans were absolutely gutted. Quarter-final of the Champions League, they're going to lose 3-0. The whole stadium stands up and gives Cristiano Ronaldo a standing ovation. We all know he then later signed for Juventus. 53 goals in uh, in 75 games for Juventus later. And, uh, you know, just what a player, what a goal. I think it was the height, wasn't it, that he managed to gain the jump and the height was just phenomenal. What a goal, what a start, and a very difficult argument to overcome, I think. But I know Jamie Easton will give it his absolute best. So, Jamie, can you better that goal from Cristiano Ronaldo for Real Madrid? Yeah, I remember that goal from Cristiano Ronaldo. It was a wonderful overhead kick goal, and I stick with the same team. I stick with the same execution. It was a wonderful overhead kick goal, but it was even more important, very important, much more important than Cristiano Ronaldo because it was in a final, in the 2018 final between Real Madrid and Liverpool. It was in the 63rd minute. The score by then was 1-1. Everything was open for both teams. Suddenly, Casemiro opened the play to Marcelo. We have to remember that Marcelo is left-footed, so he assisted with his right foot inside the penalty area. That ball was going nowhere, but suddenly, Gareth Boyle flipped 
Gareth Bale, sorry, flipped, and he, <laughs> suddenly he flipped and he catched that ball with an amazing scissor kick. What a definition. The best goal we've ever seen in a Champions League final, with permission of that Zinedine Zidane goal I explained in one of our recent episodes too. But that was a spectacular for Gareth Bale, stunning. In an attempt to chase money for charity, he has tried recently to replicate, to recreate his overhead kick goal during this pandemic era, and he donated £1 million as a result of that in total to hospitals in Wales and in Spain. So, wonderful goal and wonderful initiative too at the end. It certainly is, and again, being there in Kiev on that occasion, we were all, well, spellbound, I think, by that particular... But he can't get the points. He can't get the points for calling... He called him Gareth Boyle. (laughs) (laughs) That will be taken into consideration, don't you worry about that. <laughs> Slip of the tongue, happens to the best of us. Carrie Brown, what have you got for us? It was a European Cup final. It was Real Madrid's European ninth, ninth European Cup final. It was, of course, in Hampden Park, a goal that is celebrated every year as if it was a birthday for football. And it would be the 18th birthday of that majestic goal from Zinedine Zidane. Bale said of it ahead of that final when he scored that overhead kick. I was 12 years old when he scored that goal. I was a huge Madrid fan. The club played with such swagger and believed they could win every game. They always had players who would get you out of your seat. And as a fan, that's what you want to replicate like that. Replicate goals on the big occasion. That was his inspiration. That gave him the bravery, the courage, the audacity to replicate the moment. Roberto Carlos on rushing back pass at pace and at angle. Zidane rooted his dominant foot on the ground and swiveled as if he was a magnetic force field existing between man and ball. One and all committed, ferocious pace just under the bar. The keeper had no chance and the celebration said it all because Zidane would replicate brilliance time and time again already the Ballon d'Or winner do you remember him crouched over touching the turf unable to believe himself that this moment was real real it was it was their ninth title and it took them years again to finally get the decima under Ancelotti an incredible night that even Zidane couldn't believe was real Anything that is not that from Carrie Brown, I won't allow it. <laughs> anything, anything. <laughs> Listen, what, what is incredible is that we've asked the, your best goals and your opinions and none of the guys get to see what everyone else is saying. I don't know what they're going to say. None of this is planned out. And we've, they've all chosen Real Madrid goals. That is quite remarkable, really. And it's a very difficult decision for me to make because, as I, as I explained, Cristiano Ronaldo, that goal against Juventus, the height and everything, Gareth Bale in a, in a final like that. And the way he managed to, to come straight onto the pitch virtually and score in a, in a way like that and then carry us, as she mentioned, in it into Dan and, and one of the greatest goals ever scored. And on this occasion, I'm going to give the points to Carry Brown because I think on his weaker foot than it into Dan, scoring like that from the edge of the penalty area, it was, it was mesmeric, unbelievable. So the points for this one go to Carry Brown. Right, on with round two, a new question, and it is this. The biggest achievement in European Cup or Champions League history, so the individual or the side that have had the biggest achievement in European Cup and Champions League history. Difficult question this one, I think, so let's see what the guys and girls have got for us. 90 seconds on the clock, we'll start with Jamie Easton and your argument first, please, Jamie. 
I'll stick again to Real Madrid. We all know how this team has a special relationship with the Champions League and the European Cup too. At the beginning, we all remember there was five consecutive European Cups, but that was other times, another era. Only the champions of each country were playing their competition. Let's focus on the, the recent achievements of, of this team. Nobody had won the Champions League twice since its creation. Madrid did that, and they did a third. Nobody had done that, obviously, either. It were three consecutive years under Zinedine Zidane. Zidane arrived to the team in 2016. The team was quite messed up in uh, La Liga with Barcelona up front. Benitez was sacked and suddenly Zidane arrived and he changed everything. He fought in La Liga until the last game and in the Champions League he surprisingly won that competition with only a couple of months in charge. The next season was just superb for Real Madrid. They win everything possible. Spanish League, the Champions League, and it seemed like in 2018 everything would fall apart. In fact, that's when Cristiano Ronaldo and Zidane decided to leave after a horrifying campaign in La Liga. But in the Champions League, they stuck on. I have been at the Santiago Bernabeu in the three finals, just seeing how the Real Madrid fans gather there. 80,000 fans just filling the stadium and everybody, despite their situation in the Liga, were confident they would win again the Champions Three consecutive Champions League trophies, I think, and I strongly believe that we won't see that ever happening again. Yeah, it was a remarkable run, wasn't it? I think it was four in five years for Real Madrid and to win it three years in a row when, as you say, no one had even retained it for so long, nearly. 30 years, something like that, was uh, quite a remarkable achievement. So let's see if the guys have got anything better, because that is a difficult one to beat. Carrie, what can you do? Very much in the same vein, but I think it was such a monkey on their back. It's Real Madrid again, but it was the decima, and this was something that they just struggled with so much. They hadn't won the Champions League final since that remarkable volley from Zinedine Zazan. Ancelotti Mourinho couldn't get them past the semi-final, and then when they finally met, and it was a magnificent night when they met, it was against Atletico Madrid, Madrid, who were in their absolute prime. Of course, they'd won the league, although Real Madrid did have the Copa del Rey in their trophy cabinet, and it was an incredibly tense evening. Of course, you'll remember the big gamble on playing Diego Costa, who was injured, brought straight in, and then taken off on the eighth minute. It seemed then that Atletico Madrid's chances were over, but they weren't. In fact, they were dominant. And in fact, it was Atletico Madrid that opened the scoring. Diego got on in the 37th minute and they dominated. And it was just ticking down to 90 minutes until Ramos, of course, who'd been the cheek, cheeky provocateur that provocateur? Provoker, um, as as ever, had been scoring sublimely in the semi-finals to get them, got the equaliser. Of course, then Real Madrid simply ran away with it, but to hold their nerve right until the final moments to get the equalisers and then to get that decima that had been so cruelly on their backs when Simeone had hounded them down so epically on that evening, that was a moment of history. It was a remarkable night in Lisbon. I was there, I remember it well. I was in the tunnel. I was preparing to interview because it was in the dying moments, as you say, when uh, when Real got that equaliser. And there was Atletico Madrid players in the tunnel with shirts ready to be put on to go out to celebrate. I think they said winners on the back or something like that. It was truly incredible. What a night. But it was Real Madrid's night, ultimately, with La Decima, as you said there. So, uh, Matt Spiro, to you next. 
Uh, two Real Madrid stories, but is there a better achievement than those two, in your opinion, in the League or Matt. European Cup history? Absolutely. First, Carrie, it's a provocateur, but maybe you the French to me. Um, <laughs> Jamie, Gareth right. Boyle and, and, and Real Madrid, we're, like, we're enjoying all these Real Madrid stories. But, you know, for me, the richest club in the world winning the European Cup, for me, that, you know, I'm a, it's I'm a not romantic. It's the richest club, want... Matt Spiro. You have to do your homework better. Okay, among the richest clubs in the world. It depends okay, how much, good. you know, the Spanish state is giving at, at any one time. But... Um, let's not go there. Let's let's talk about what I see as a real achievement. Nottingham Forest in 1974 were struggling to stay up in the English Second Division. Um, they were, you know, going absolutely nowhere. Then in January 1975, they appointed a man named Brian Clough. Now Brian Clough managed to build a dynasty that that is just for me far greater than any possible achievement. You know, the, the, the Real Madrid, Barcelona, Manchester United, you know, can, can achieve. It's it's the equivalent. Today, I was looking, it would be Luton or, or Barnsley who are struggling at, near the bottom of the, of the second division. Or for Jamie, uh, Numancia or Extra Madura going and winning two Euro- European Cups. Nottingham Forest are the only club to this day to have won more European Cups than they have domestic titles. Brian Clough was, you know... I'm talking about Brian Clough, it wasn't only him, but what an incredible, charismatic man. And it's no surprise that Jose Mourinho, that Arsene Wenger, that so many coaches are are inspired by him. He had Peter Taylor, his right-hand man, who was a phenomenal coach. He brought in players, Martin O'Neill, Viv Anderson, Ian Bowyer, Tony Woodcock. You know, these are guys who who were journeyman players, but they were talented as well. And what they achieved as a football club was just absolutely extraordinary to go and be crowned twice European champions two years in a row okay Real Madrid did it this is Nottingham Forest unbelievable I have to say my point goes to Matt Spiro on this one because I don't think you can beat the story of Nottingham Forest winning back-to-back European Cups in 1979 and 1980 okay La Decima was difficult to achieve but they got there and Real Madrid are a superpower as we know and to win three in a row is an unbelievable achievement. But to win two in a row, if you're Nottingham Forest, having come from the second division, to, to do what they did, incredible. So my points go to Matt Spira. Right, let's crack on with a new question in round three. Still on the theme of the European Cup and Champions League, but this one is the best game in the competition's history. So the best game there's ever been in the competition's long and illustrious history, the European Cup and the Champions League. Let's start with Carrie Brown in London for this one. Carrie, your best argument, please. I'm going to take you to the camp now in 1999. I know many will look to that night in Istanbul, but this was a moment of history for a club in which Sir Alex Ferguson would win the treble. But the way he won it was so characteristic both to him and his side in the character they won it and the comeback never say die attitude and the fact it was won in Fergie time. Bayern Munich had led for 85 minutes following Mario Basler's earlier free kick and had dominated. United missing Roy Keane and Skulls in midfield were overrun. But Fergie had seen it all before, not least in the semi-finals when his side trailed Juventus 2-0 to come back and win. In Barcelona, the United manager introduced Teddy Sheringham and then with nine minutes remaining, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. We all know the rest. With the finish line in sight, the stadium clock showed 90 minutes as United won a corner. In it came and out it was cleared, but only as far as Ryan Giggs, who hooked in a weak effort that fell perfectly for 
for sharing them to divert inside the post. At that time, I was working at the bottom of TV sports news, pressing play on the tapes in my role during a news bulletin. I was trying to concentrate from my cue for the director, but two minutes later, Sheringham rose to glance David Beckham's corner into the path of Solskjaer, who prodded in to spark delirious celebrations. During a serious news bulletin live on air, I squealed at the top of my voice, and I'm a Leeds fan, I hate United. I kept my job, Sir Alex Ferguson sealed the treble, and he said, this is the greatest moment of my career, and I'm struggling to take it all in. I haven't said anything to the players yet. I've just hugged and kissed them. I've slobbered all over them. It was the luckiest <laughs> win ever, Carrie. It was the luckiest win ever. By a minute out, play them. I mean, never say die United. You could never write them off. They never gave up. Well, you could if Effenberg had just put that shot in and Yanko had put <laughs> that. He, he didn't. No, he didn't. I, w- I was at the camp now. I was only 14 oh. years old. And I just still remember that as the most unfair game ever. Yeah. And that apparently sums up Ferguson's legacy. Okay. (laughs) Never say Have you all finished? Have you all quite (laughs) finished? Because we've got a show to be getting on with here. Max Spiro, please, for the best game ever in Champions League and European Cup history, what have you got? Right, this might surprise you a little bit, but for me, the the most dramatic games, the best games that I have witnessed, they all seem to be involving Monaco. And I actually thought about Monaco's 5-3 defeat at at Manchester City last season, which was unbelievable. Kylian Mbappe's first Champions League start, and it just, what what a game of football. But it was that 2003-04 season that, that was just astonishing. I was lucky to go to the Stade Louis de for all Monaco's home matches. I saw them put eight past Deportivo La Coruña. I saw them beat Chelsea in the in the semi-finals. But the quarter-final against Real Madrid was just unbelievable. Monaco were beaten 4-2 at the Bernabeu. Business as usual, Real Madrid going through. Um, but that goal at the end from, from Morientes that made it 4-2 just gave Monaco a little bit of hope. And they were just phenomenal at the Stade Louis led by Ludovic Julie. This was a Real Madrid team that had Zidane, that had Ronaldo, Raul Figo, up against Didier Deschamps' little Monaco team. And it, it just... Just such a strange and unique football club. Only 20,000 people there, but it was, you know, I felt like I'd witnessed something unbelievable that night. 5-5 on aggregate, Monaco with an astonishing comeback against the Galacticos. And uh, yeah, for me, that was the greatest ever Champions League night. Okay, interesting stuff indeed. Interesting stuff. I can remember Monaco, of course, going all the way to the final that year, beaten by Porto, I think, if I'm right, in the final. But mm. uh, what an occasion that was in the quarterfinals against... Real Madrid, I think it was Chelsea in the semis, if memory serves. But let's go to Jamie Easton next up. Jamie, uh, what have you got for us for the best game in Champions League history? Well, I have to go to the Istanbul miracle in 2005, that final between Liverpool and Milan. We all remember that assist from Kaká to Hernán Crespo for Milan. We all remember how the Italian side went at half-time with a 3-0 Victory, everybody considering that Ancelotti's side had already won the Champions League already. And suddenly, thanks to Matt Spear, we know what happened at half time with Gerrard and that magnificent speech, and that worked. And 3 1, 3 2, and 3 3 in the end. That's how it ended. A miracle just happened, but that wasn't done yet. The extra time just ended with the same result 3 3, and then in penalties. 
3-2 for Liverpool. They made it, the, probably the greatest comeback ever with the permission of Barcelona and PSG. Shevchenko missing that final penalty against Dudek. And do you remember the chance after that final towards Rafa Benitez in Spain? We remember them. Just all the Liverpool fans chanting his name with the La Bamba song with Rafa Benitez. Rafa Benitez. That was just amazing. This is a very <laughs> difficult one because, again, three good arguments to put across. We've got the finals of 2005 and 1999. We've got Monaco and their remarkable performance overall against Real Madrid. But on this occasion, I'm going to give the points to Jamie Easton for that 3-3 game, Liverpool versus AC Milan in 2005. Undoubtedly, the greatest final I think that there's ever been. And I think we can say now the best game, perhaps, that's ever been in Champions League history. So the points go to Jamie. Right, we finish as we always do with a fact or fiction round. The theme, let's not forget, is the European Cup and the Champions League. The guys have 90 seconds to tell me a story and I have to work out if they're telling the truth or a fib points on offer, but two in this round if they can get the better of me. So let's start with Matt Spiro. 90 seconds, as I say, on the clock for your fact or fiction on the Champions League European Cup, please, Matt. I'm going to go back to a time that I don't think even you could remember. Back to 1954 when the, uh, the European Cup was, was essentially created. And amazingly, it was created because of some arrogance from my, my compatriots. It's hard to believe that the English could be, could be arrogant. I mean, you know, we never hear Carrie Brown saying that, that the Premier League's the best league in the world and, uh, and, and all this. But back in 1954, <laughs> we did... Um, we, we, the, the English press were proudly claiming that Wolverhampton Wanderers were the best team in the world and champions of Europe because because they beat Honved in a in a friendly game. Honved were a great side and uh, and the French got a bit upset. They got they were like, hang on, why are the English saying that Wolves are the best team in the world? We have football teams here. There are football teams in Spain and and, and in Italy. And L'Equipe actually championed the idea that that, that we set up a, a, a European Cup. And they they laid down the gauntlet to the English. They said, listen. Um, Wolves, if you want Wolves to be champions of Europe, they have to prove it. And we invite you to play in a, in a special ceremonial game against Stade de Reims. The Stade de Reims of... of and the deal was that if Reims beat them, then we have to have a formal competition. Reims beat them 7-2, thanks to goals notably from Jules Fontaine and, and Raymond Copper. And it was decided that Wolves were not, um, were not the best team in Europe. And actually, we needed a fair way, a competition to try to decide who should be. Ah, so you're saying this is the very origins of the uh, the invention, I suppose, of the European Cup. Now, I do remember Wolves being, well, they were certainly a great team in the 50s and all they achieved. And I, I do remember something about Honved. But did they, were they beaten 7-2? I'm going to say there's a, there's a degree of fact here. I, I think that's a factual story. Am I right? Uh, oh, I'm afraid you're wrong, Matt. It, 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 it's, it's true that the French got upset with Wolves uh, being crowned Champions of Europe by the English press and that L'Equipe basically did, did, did push for the idea for a Champions League, but there was no game between Rouse and, and Wolves and Rouse certainly didn't beat Wolves 17. <laughs> you got me halfway there and you tricked me at the end. So well done to Matt Spiro. Two points to you for that occasion. Uh, right, Jamie Easton next up. Uh, fact or fiction on the European Cup or Champions League? Can you trick me, Jamie? Well, I'll try. It's the first time uh, one of the greatest goalkeepers of the competition ever was called for a Champions League game. It was in 1997. 
Iker Casillas was only 16 years old by the time and he was attending his design lessons in the Design Institute of Madrid and suddenly the director of the Design Institute entered the classroom and told Iker Casillas, Iker, can you come out a second please? He told him you should better take a taxi as soon as you can and go straight to the airport. Real Madrid just called your mum and she called us. Hurry up because you're going to Norway. Real Madrid was playing uh, the next day against Rosenborg in the Champions League. So uh, Iker Casillas, with 16 years old, started the day in a classroom of a design institute in Madrid and ended that day in uh, Norway, ready to be called for his first ever Champions League game. Hmm. I really hope that's true. I really, really do, because that is a wonderful story. And I do remember Casillas starting off very young indeed in those uh, those early Champions League days and you know went on to make so many appearances for Real Madrid and Porto of course but yeah I'm going to say true Jamie I think that's true is it? It is true yeah that's how Casillas' story initiated in the Champions League yes that's a really good story as well I'm glad it's that's amazing Jamie Jamie telling Jamie telling the truth is that a first during this series? <laughs> no it's the second time <laughs> uh, Okay, let's see if Carrie also tells the truth or is coming up with a bit of a fib. What have you got for us, Carrie? Well, I'm going to take you back to the glory, heady days of Leeds United and the great Billy Bremner. We've had a very close relationship with Bill Mellinson of the Daily Mail in Yorkshire and they were on a flight to Dresden after European competition where he'd fallen asleep uh, with the press being right next to the players and in a flash... Bremner leant over and removed his toupee, hiding it in his bag and refusing to give any indication that he'd done it. And poor Bill was woke up, was irate, was searching, accused his fellow journalists who swore blind they hadn't done it with a few sniggers, looked under his seat, and it wasn't until he alighted from his flight that Billy Bremner actually finally gave him his toupee back. <laughs> Again, it's one of those stories that you... I mean, you know, you just kind of hope it's true. But I'm going to say true, because I don't know that much about Billy Bremner. I know, you know, enough, not huge amounts, but I'm going to say that that's the sort of thing he might have got up to. So is it true, Carrie? It's false, because I changed one detail, um, but I didn't change the script. (laughs) It affected his appetite, because remarkably, he didn't steal his toupee, he stole his false teeth. Back in the day, you you used to have to take your false teeth out on a flight remarkably and so he stole his false teeth not only did he steal his false teeth not given back to after the flight he couldn't have the meal which was steak and chips on the flight because he'd stolen his false teeth (laughs) no that's all part of the game well done to Carrie Brown for tricking me on that occasion not sure about that story though anyway uh, two points to Carrie there well done to you Right, so that is the end of another episode. Let's have a look at the scores both today and overall. Joint winners for this particular show were Matt Spiro and Carrie Brown, both with three points. Jamie Easton just a single point on this occasion. And this is how it affects our leaderboard overall after five episodes of our series. We have Carrie Brown out in front with 11 points. And just behind her, a point behind, it's both Jamie and Matt on 10 points. Three episodes to go, and there really is all to play for. So I hope you will join us for another episode very soon. 
As always, I have to say my thanks to Carrie, to Jamie and to Matt for joining me on Mark My Words and we'll see you again very soon.